Well, last week, we started what I said was going to be a two-part sermon series on what we believe. And as I've been praying about it and thinking about it for the, um, through this week, um, this may end up being a series that we go into throughout the summer. But for now, it's just these two sermon series, last week and then this week. Corbin, thank you so much, man. If you can just put it right up there on the table. So, last week, we looked at the idea of resurrection. It was the Sunday after Easter, we had just celebrated resurrection, and we talked a lot about what other people think, what the Bible says, what, what, the, what the world teaches, um, and I hope, and I challenge you guys, to think about your own beliefs, and to think about what you believe about the afterlife, and where you'll be, and what, what kind of a body you'll be in. One of the things we did know, that we did discover, was that we will not become angels after we die. Okay? Angels are a totally different part of creation. We will never become an angel after death. We will never grow wings after we die. We're not going to float around on puffy clouds and string uh, stroke harps and be bored to death after we die. We learn that God will raise us up bodily at the end, whatever the end is, and the bottle and and this body that we are resurrected into will be similar to our current bodies. And if you remember, Jesus had the same wounds and same scars that he had before his death were present after his death. Because Thomas said, I mean, Jesus said to Thomas, touch my holes in my arm, touch the hole in my side. So something from the time that Jesus was on the earth translated into the resurrected body. And we can expect that Probably the same thing will be true for us. Some other things. Um, Jesus' body was able to eat. So we would think that we would be able to eat. Jesus' body was able to go through walls. That would be cool. I don't know if we'll be able to go through walls. Jesus was able to ascend, defying the laws of gravity in his physical new body. Wouldn't that be cool? No longer would you have to fly in an airplane. If you wanted to go travel 10,000 miles, you just float and go travel 10,000 miles. But anyway, we don't know all of it. But, but the next part of this was, well, that's what is going to happen with our bodies, this resurrection idea. But where will we be is the next question in this idea of what is our hope? What is our afterlife going to be like? And so um, that's what I want to just talk about this morning. We know that we will spend eternity alive. We're told that every single human being that has ever lived will be alive, conscious, awake, aware of their surroundings. But the question is, what location, where is it? And, and if you ask somebody in, in, the, in, the, in the world, you, they would say, well, well I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Or somebody just dies in their family and say, they're in a better place. Well, where? Where? Now, that's not the right time to ask the question. Okay? You're in the funeral home, and oh, she's in a better place. Really, where is she? <laughs> but isn't it an appropriate question to talk about? Maybe before somebody dies? I can tell you back years ago when I was first in this community, there was a man named Papa Wes Carpenter that I loved desperately. He and I had a great relationship. He said, so how's that Presbyterian church going, Pastor? Every time I saw him. <laughs> he said, it's great. 
But we would sit and have coffee and visit for hours in his shop. And I loved that man to death. And um, I, after his death, I was in the, the Pleasant Valley store. And I heard the clerk behind the counter say to the person at the counter, Did you hear about Papa Wes? He died yesterday. And the first words out of the woman's mouth were, Well, was he saved? I was furious. Because I, what I wanted to say to this woman was, why are you asking that question now? If you really wanted to know if he was saved, if you were really concerned about his eternal soul, if you were really concerned about where he was after his death, shouldn't you have talked to him about that prior? So, what I want to do for us this morning is I want to give us the, op- the, op- the ammunition or the, the ability to think through, the, be able, the ability to have some answers a, as Peter tells us, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. But also, when you engage somebody in a conversation about the afterlife, and they say, well, nobody knows. Well, I can tell you what the Bible says. Can you? And that gives you the opportunity to begin talking about what does indeed the Bible say about our future. Now, um, I will tell you that there are some things that you're going to hear this morning that you may get a little bit upset with your pastor about. And that's okay. Because my whole goal in this is to challenge your stinking thinking. Okay? If you have not been properly discipled, if you have not been informed or indoctrinated in what the Bible says, and you have all of this junk floating around in your head because that's what you were taught when you first got saved, well, maybe it's time for you to get your world shaken a little bit. Now... I'm not saying that I'm trying to be unkind. I'm saying I'm not using anybody's stuff other than what's in the Bible. Okay? I'm not going out and grabbing things from other theologians, etc. I've read. I have prepared. But everything I'm going to show you today is right out of the Word of God. So if you've got a problem with it, you talk to the author. Okay? Now, let me tell you where our problem lies, first of all. Come on. There we go. Paradise. Now, I have a bunch of scriptures up there, and I have them in the order that we'll be looking at them, but I'm not going to keep that slide up there forever. So if you want to do some further study, write these things down now. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 30. Let me grab my Bible real quick. And you guys can grab your Bibles if you want, so you can look it up with me. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 30. Just one verse. It's a powerful verse. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And this is Solomon talking, and he's talking about the temple. This is the dedication prayer of the temple. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this temple, O God. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And that one little phrase that Solomon gave us in his prayer was, Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, God. So God's in heaven. Where's heaven? I'm asking. Where, where would you say heaven is? Where God is. Well, you cheat. Okay. <laughs> He's, it's in the north. Heaven's in the north. 
So in other words, if I continue traveling 120 miles or more, I'll be, wow, you must be in heaven every month, right? (laughs) Up on the north slope? Oh, no, I'm sorry. It must be the northern slope of Asia, so it would have to be the Siberian area. Where's heaven? You ask a little kid, where's heaven? What do they do? You ask them where hell is, where do they point? Why? Because we've been taught humanity's ideas, philosophies, thought processes. If you think of hell, and we'll get to hell in a little bit, but if you think of hell, what do you immediately think of? Fire. Huh? Fire. Fire. What else? Darkness. Darkness. What else? Misery. Misery. What else? Nobody thinks of... Go ahead, Morgan. Eternal bleeding. bleeding. That would be horrible. Caves. Caves. Nobody thinks about little guys with pitchforks and tails spiking you, making you tormented. Okay? That is not biblical. That is Dante's Inferno. One of the great classics of literature has nothing to do with what the Bible says about hell. There is no place with a bunch of little demons jumping up and down, going and stabbing their captors. It's, that's a human being's interpretation. Now, we do know the Bible says that heaven, and this word can also be translated paradise, is God's dwelling place. So wherever God dwells is paradise. Or the reverse, wherever paradise is, is where God dwells. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 41, 43. Luke 23, verses 39 through 43 says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned and said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now when Jesus says, verily, verily. I tell you the truth. Do you think you can believe him? So if Jesus, who's struggling to get air because he's being crucified, takes the air and energy to go, I'm I'm telling you the truth, man. Today, we'll be in paradise. Today. Right? What time did Jesus die? Three o'clock in the afternoon on what day? Friday. When did Jesus' body resurrect? Three days later on Sunday. Where was Jesus and this criminal in paradise today? Where were they? Come on, people. You are Christians who know this Bible. You should have an answer for the hope that lies within you. Where did Jesus take that criminal? Oh, good answer. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is speaking. And Paul is talking about this other guy, but scholars 
know that he's actually talking tongue-in-cheek about this other guy. Paul is actually talking about himself here. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-4. through 4, Paul says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man, Paul. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows that. And I know that this man, Paul, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things that a man is not permitted to tell. So, where is paradise? What does it say? Read that out aloud again, please. Somebody. Uh, verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was up to the third heaven. And then verse 4 says, caught up to paradise. So using this different words to say the same thing, Paul is saying that paradise is the third heaven. What is the third heaven? You know, <laughs> you know, back in the 60s, when the United States first sent their astronauts out into manned space flight, one of the things that the Soviets said was, where's your God? If he's up there in heaven, where's your God? Did you see him? Were you able to find him? But you see, the word of God says it's the third heaven. The first heaven is the atmosphere around our, pla our planet. The second heaven is space, the universe. The third heaven is beyond the universe. Okay? So it is outside of the physical realm. Somehow, someway, Paul was translated, whether he's in the body or out of the body, he doesn't know, but he went to wherever paradise is, which is not in the physical realm realm. It is not, in, not within the reaches of our universe. It was beyond the universe, in the third heaven. Alright. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. This is Jesus talking to the different churches uh, of the book of Revelation. So he says to in verse 7, to the church of Ephesus, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So there's a tree of life that we are going to be going to eat from in paradise. Not getting a whole lot of clues here to still give me an understanding, but if getting a little bit of understanding that God's there, Jesus is there, I'm going there, and when I get there, I get eternal life. Yeah? Okay. Let's talk about hell or Hades. First of all, Second Peter chapter two, verse four. Second Peter chapter two. Verse 4, for if God didn't spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he didn't spare the ancient world when he thought about it, and he goes on and on and on, but that verse tells us very clearly that God 
took some angels who had sinned and sent them to hell. Does anybody have a New International Version Bible in their hand? Look at, this, look at the note, because your hell should have a little tiny B next to it. And then you look at the footnotes at the bottom, and it'll tell you what that, what that hell actually is. Anybody? Tartarus. Tartarus. King James, okay. Tartarus. Tartarus is the Greek understanding of Hades. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But there is a place called hell, Hades, Tartarus, that God sent sinful angels to. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1. Verse 18. Jesus is appearing to John, the revelator, and he appears as this man wearing a white robe with a golden sash and a a glowing face, and it's just a powerful, powerful image. And in verse 18, Jesus says to John, I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. What does that mean? Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. When you hold the keys to something, what does that mean? You're in charge of who goes in and out. Exactly. You're in charge of who goes in and out. Jesus holds the responsibility of who gets in and out of Hades. And it says, we read in 2 Peter, that God sent sinful angels to Hades. And Jesus is in charge of whether or not they get out. Now let's look at Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years are over, and the thousand years was um, following Jesus' return, Uh, The the thousand year rule, blah, blah, blah. We're not going to get into all that. But when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. Where is he at? Oh yeah, that's right. Second Peter told us. He's in Hades. And Jesus has got the key. And he's in Hades for a thousand years. And it says when the thousand years are over, Satan is released from his prison. Who released him? Well, the one who has the key, right? He didn't get out. He didn't sneak out. He didn't escape. He was given permission by the one who held him captive. Yeah, you can come out for a while. And we'll go out then. Satan goes out to deceive the nations on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. There they will be tormented day and night, forever and forever. You see, God has a lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his followers, the angels who sinned against God and went into rebellion. That's another part of the story which we don't have time to look at. But the reality is, there is a place called the lake of fire that was reserved for the deceiver and all of his followers. The false prophet, the beast, all of the demons will be thrown into the lake of fire. And it says 
they will be tormented day and night forever. Now see, if we were going with Dante's little scenario, we would be seeing Satan holding the key to hell and welcoming all of his little souls that he had captured and all of his demons with pitchforks going, <laughs> we got you, <laughs> we got you. But that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is that God has a place reserved specifically for the devil and his followers. And Jesus is the one who's in charge. And Jesus is the one who's, in, who's going to re- keep them in there forever and forever. And they will be in torment. Now, what is that torment? I don't know and I really don't care. Maybe they torment each other. Maybe they're continually reminded of what they've lost. I don't know. All I know is the word of God clearly says that God did not create a lake of fire for his human creation. God did not say, when I create earth and all of my lovely earthlings that I'm going to love with all of my heart, soul, and spine and strength, and I'm going to be willing to give up my son for, you know, I think I'm going to build a place for them to go burn forever in. That's not what the lake of fire is for. The lake of fire is for the devil and for his minions. Who are in rebellion against God forever and forever. That's why God created the lake of fire. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 verses, verse 41. Jesus is telling a parable about sheep and goats. At the end time when all of the humanity comes before heavenly, the heavenly judgment seat. And they will be separated into sheep and separated into goats. And this verse that we're looking at is talking about what happens to the goats, to the unrighteous, to the people who refuse to have relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The ones who continue in their rebellious sin all the way up through until all of eternity. They will not bow down to God. They will not submit their will. They refuse. They're in rebellion, thumbing their nose at God. And Jesus says, then he who is sitting on the throne... We'll, de- we'll say to those on his left, you depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire which was prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, God didn't create a lake of fire to punish human beings. God created a lake of fire because there was a need for it to house these rebels against God's will, the devil and his followers. But there will be human beings, it says, who continue in rebellion against God, refuse the grace of God, refuse the mercy of God, and in their rebellion, they seal their own fate. They cannot be in God's presence, not because God doesn't want them, not because God doesn't love them, but because they will not be with God. They refuse. So they have a place to be. A place where there will be torment. A place where there will be pain. A place of fire. A place... Of it, Jesus used the terms where the worm dieth not, where there is gnashing of teeth. It's a place that's horrible, but it was not created for humans. And we need to understand that God doesn't want to condemn any human being to hell. It's them condemning themselves because of their rebellion against the grace of God. Revelation, back, back to Revelation chapter 20. Keep your finger in this Matthew 25 thing. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15 says, 
Then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that are in it. The death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. What? Hell was thrown into hell? Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's... Hell was thrown into hell? Turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Jesus explains what that's all about. Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and Lazarus. And he says, there's a rich man who's dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every single day. And at his gate, he was, there was a beggar whose name was Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked Lazarus' sores. The time came when the beggar Lazarus died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Some of your Bibles may say Abraham's bosom. That is important. The rich man also died and he was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away. Here is Jesus' words being translated from the original Greek into English. Jesus saying, the rich man was in hell. With Lazarus, uh, and, and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in his water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And beside all this, between, you and, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And then goes on with this rest of the story. So we're given by Jesus this understanding that there is a place where dead people go and some of them are in torment and some of them are not in torment. But the book of Revelation says that that place of torment gets cast into the lake of fire. So what is this place of torment and place of non-torment? This, Sheol, the place of the dead. If you read in the Old Testament, you'll see Sheol listed all over the place. The place of the dead. And there were two rooms in Sheol, if you'll, if you'll bear with me for saying it that way. There was the room of Hades, and there was the room of Paradise. Abraham's bosom is another way to say paradise. And all of those who were righteous in right relationship with God at the time of their death go to paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. All those who die in an unrighteous state, out of right relationship with God, will go immediately 
to a place of torment known as Hades. This is not a space with a bunch of devils with pitchforks sticking them. This is a place where they are constantly reminded of what they've lost. They were offered grace. They were offered mercy. They were offered hope. They were offered unconditional love. And in their selfishness and greed, they blocked it all, refusing any of it, and sealed their fate. They are in a place where they are miserable. But this is not eternal misery. This is Hades, a chamber within the place of the dead where the unrighteous go until the judgment, until the time of the resurrection of the body. Okay? Now, heaven. What is heaven as opposed to what is paradise? Okay? Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Going back to the story of the sheep and the goats. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Jesus is talking to the sheep and he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He is welcoming them into the place that was, what did it say? The place that had been prepared for you since the creation of the world. From the beginning of time, and I would say it's probably from the beginning of when Adam and Eve sinned, God created a place, a repository, a room for them to stay in until this place, this heaven, was available to them. Okay? So, righteous people go to, to Sheol, to the place of the righteous, to Abraham's bosom, to paradise, and then at the end, at the judgment seat, they are ushered into this place that had been prepared from the very beginning, the place that God originally wanted all of humanity to work, to be with God in. And I hate to use the word paradise because it kind of confuses things, but paradise. The original paradise. Heaven. If you will, the Garden of Eden. So you think it's a higher, a higher paradise though? Well, again, I, I'm, I'm not getting into anything but what the Bible specifically says. There are so many philosophies and so many teachings that we could get into. I'm only doing what the Bible says, and the Bible does not talk about a higher anything. It, does, it specifically says a place that was created from the beginning of the world. Yeah, it describes paradise in there. Right, paradise was the place of the, of the dead, the righteous place, the place where the righteous stayed until the time of judgment, when the body is resurrected. And then once the body is resurrected and the great judgment seat happens, they are either then condemned to the lake of fire, or they are sent to the place that had been prepared from the very beginning, heaven, the place where God lives. Going back to First Kings, all the way back. Heaven is the, yes ma'am. Mm-hmm. Does Jesus stay in paradise until the great white throne? Well, open up your hymnals to room uh, to, to number number eight. Seriously, open up your hymnals to reading number eight. What does it say? 
Now this is, this is an ancient Christian creed, but it is based on scripture. So I, I'm comfortable using this in this discussion. The Apostles' Creed, reading number 8, says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again in fulfillment of the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, from whence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the forgiveness of saints, I mean the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Jesus, according to the Apostles' Creed, was, after His death on the cross, He descended to the place of the dead. Now, some will teach you, it's not in the Bible, but some will teach you through Christian tradition, Orthodox Christian tradition, that Jesus went into both sides of Sheol. He went to the place of the dead, the righteous people, and he said, the hope that you have longed for forever has been fulfilled in me, and he preached the gospel to them. Because it says he led captivity, he brings them out of their captivity, and they're, bring, they're going to be brought into paradise. In other words, there's a translation of their faith into Jesus as the Messiah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, Adam, Eve, all of the righteous people who were in right relationship with God as they died are now being talked to by Jesus himself in the place of the dead, paradise. But some traditions will also tell you that Jesus went over to Hades, to the place of the damned, and said, one last chance? Anybody? Okay, bye. Now, that's where the idea of alternate levels of heaven, purgatory, blah, 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 all of these teachings that are outside of the Bible come from all of this. But what we do know from Orthodox Christianity and Scripture is that Jesus descended into the place of the dead. And he preached the gospel to the righteous, for sure, letting them know the truth. And... Then he ascended into heaven. Because, well, go ahead. Resurrected. resurrected onto the earth, walked on the earth, did his last little bit, commissioned the church. And, and at this point, he's with his, he has his resurrected body, but he, he won't, you know, I mean, we, we're still waiting. The, the saints who have died before us are still waiting <clears> for that. Exactly. Isaiah 65. We are way, way past our time, folks. Sorry. Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. This is a prophecy, but it says, Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem, and will take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who doesn't live out his years, who dies at a hundred. One who dies at a hundred will be thought to be a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them, and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses for others to live in, or plants for others to eat. For as 
For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will, live, will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not toil in vain their ch- or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I'll answer. While they're still speaking, I'll hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The dust will be the serpent, serpent's food. And they, they will neither harm nor destroy on they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. That's a prophecy of God. Now, look at Revelation chapter 21. This is verses 1 to 4. This is John, a vision that God gave John of the end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepares a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and there be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Okay? So this is what the Bible says. Our hope is, if you live a righteous life through the blood of Christ, being righteous with God, being in right relationship with God, then you have a hope of living with God forever in the place where God dwells. And until you get to that point, you won't cease to exist You won't go to sleep. There are those who want to teach that there's a soul sleep. But you will be present with the Lord in the moment of your death because God is present in paradise. They are with God. And then at the time of the end, when God calls forth all of humanity who have ever lived and the demons who have been put into hell, and they all come before the judgment seat of God in their new resurrected bodies, they will then either be sent to a place of eternal torment, the lake of fire, which was originally created just for the devil and his followers, or they will be ushered into the place that we call heaven. But what did Isaiah say? They will enjoy the toil of their hands, the fruit of their labor. They will have a wonderful life. They will live just as they were originally intended to live when God created human beings in the first place, which is on earth. It'll be a new, newly created or renovated earth. If you go back in Revelation, you see there's fire and purging and all this stuff. But God is going to create a physical place for our physical bodies to live where there will no longer be suffering, there will no longer be sickness, there will no longer be disease, there will no longer be pain, there will no longer be sorrow. And God will make his residence with us. He will walk amongst us. Just like we see in the Garden of Eden. That's heaven. It's not us in this disembodied state going to float off somewhere to some ethereal place that we float around and enjoy worship of God for millions and millions and millions. You can worship God sitting right here. We can worship God planting. We can worship God hiking. We can worship God as we're creating beautiful music. We can worship God as we're scuba diving. Because that's what we're going to be doing, folks. 
on an, a physical earth in our physical, spiritual, re- resurrected bodies with God being right there with us, walking amongst us. That's what the Bible says. So forget all of the Dante stuff. and Forget about floating on cotton candy clouds because that's not what it's about. We have a promise. Eternity with God in a very good life. That's the hope. And if you disagree with me, I'll be back in two weeks and we can talk. (laughs) It'll give you plenty of time, plenty of time to pull up all your Bible verses to refute me. Let's pray.